Good morning, listeners. We're back again with another episode of Riddles in the Dark, brought to you by the Tolkien Professor and the Mythgard Institute. We're sorry for the sort of unpredictable, variable schedule, the last-minute notice on when when we're going, the late start due to me waking up late, (laughs) Uh, just, you know, the usual chaos that seems to accompany... Uh... Dave getting married, I mean, God. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> fortunately, we have, like, uh, Corey, Corey completely changing his life. Um, yeah, exactly, me, me moving and Dave getting married, we've got lots of... Yeah, uh, we, we have no end of excuses, so you guys yeah. can't possibly hold it against us. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... But we are back, uh, and um, and uh, we're we're taking. But wait, things... wait, wait! Before you go forward, I sure. just want to put in here, as a wedding guest and representing everybody, you know, that is Dave's fan in the Dave Kale World Domination Network. <laughs> that Dave did us proud at his wedding. If there was so much Tolkien themed stuff, I mean, first of all, I must hand it to Teresa for being just so wonderfully tolerant. But he, <laughs> even at his non rehearsal dinner, he he read a part of the Lay of Lathian. I mean, and it, and it, the letter that he wrote. I mean, the the poor. Um, uh, the celebrant when he read Dave's letter because they each wrote each other a letter and then the celebrant read the letters and Dave talked so much about stuff to do with Baron and Luthien the poor guy didn't know how to pronounce the words <laughs> like he didn't know how to pronounce Silmarill and he didn't know how to pronounce stuff so anyway he and, and when I stood up actually I didn't tell you this David when I stood up to do the reading because I, I did a reading for Baron and Luthien as part of the ceremony and I I start out by saying an excerpt from the Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien I could hear in the crowd people go oh <laughs> 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 but it was a wonderful, wonderful wedding, and you—I thought you wove that stuff in great, and you guys were just beautiful, and it was super. And I yes. shared a bunch of the pictures, so go thank look you. at the Riddles in the Dark page for the pictures that I shared. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, yeah, it was great. I'll—I'll uh, <laughs> um, I'll tell you what—I'll I'll finish our intro, and then I'll give the the listeners just like a, a even—I'll give them okay. a, a few additional details as well. Um, okay, but. So we're here with Riddles in the Dark. Uh, we're taking it back to the beginning, uh, uh, or rather the beginning of the second movie. The topic today is um, how will the uh, how will the second film start? Uh, this is kind of a classic Riddles in the Dark question that we we thought had gone we'd gone on too long without addressing it. Um, you know, this is how, how are they going to draw us in from the very first moment of the scene? And this is particularly interesting since I think uh, the opening of the first film was was uh, nobody expected it to happen the way it did. So that's what we'll be talking about today. Uh, with me as always, I'm or I'm your co-host Dave Kale. With me as always are uh, Trish Lambert and of course the Tolkien professor, Professor Corey Olson. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so yeah, you, you you want to tell? Okay, I have you know, so I I, I am uh, ready to do my traditional analytical spiel at the beginning ten, of our yeah, episode. Ten minute uh, but... introductory monologue. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. As is as is customary. Yes. Uh, and I need but... to move my microphone up so that when you make me laugh, I don't burst people's eardrums. Right. Yes. <laughs> and we don't get any more complaining <laughs> Facebook messages. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, yes. But anyway, but Dave, you want to, uh, do uh, do tell us more about the wedding? Sure, yeah, and, uh, sure. I give you. You know, many people have been asking. You know, how is married life treating you so far? Oh yeah, yep, yep. And the, and the, I have I have um, we had some friends get married a year ago who who like us had been dating for a very long time and had uh, um, uh, lived in sin together for for a couple of years. 
before getting married. And, um, and, the, and I remember them telling us when I asked them, like, how's married life? They say, the biggest difference is people keep asking us how, it, how married life is. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, that, I guess that's a little true of us. Uh, it is. Uh, it's interesting. It, it gives you sort of a different perspective on things, and uh, maybe makes you look at things a little differently, interpret things differently. I remember what's really funny is I read an article, like a couple days later, uh, a blog entry on like the blog for Scientific American. They had a they had a study, um, or were talking about a study that some folks had done on um, what makes marriages last and sort of the psychology of it. And it was these guys who've done this thing where they've, you know, recorded a bunch of uh, footage of couples discussing like their, the, like their most recent argument they could remember. And they, you know, done the thing that they do where they go through and code all these things they notice and they boiled it down to like these four principles, like um, contempt, um, uh, stonewalling. I can't remember what some of the other ones were, but then they went through and they analyzed footage from Keeping Up with the Kardashians of Kim Kardashian <laughs> and uh, her her husband, the NBA player, whose name I can't remember. <laughs> and that was pretty amusing. So uh, so that was that was fun reading those and thinking about that and thinking like, I think we can do it. I think we can beat the Kardashians. We can last longer than them. <laughs> yes. So uh, the wedding was great. Um, uh, Trish did. She did you guys all really proud. She she got up and read the the um, the Silmarillion reading that we we came to a consensus on that Corey and Trish and and some of our listeners and the Silmarillionaires all helped us uh, edit down and and I think it was great. And hey, here's the the major victory, Corey. Someone came up yeah. to me afterward. This is a guy who he works in Hollywood. He's a writer. He doesn't like fantasy in general. Um, he came up to me and he said. I've decided I like Tolkien because of your reading. <gasps> well, there you awesome. go. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. So, you know, there's so much that people, you know, people who say, like, I don't like fantasy or I have nothing to do with fantasy really uh, so often have no idea. Like, it just, like, the, the concept of fantasy to them seems to be something which is detached from all human experience, you know, it's like it has nothing to do with anything, you know, yep. and um, and that's I think one of the things that we, we, you know, when you can say uh, it's you know so I, I can I can I can really see how the experience not only of the fact that you are reading from Tolkien but the way in which you were using it in your wedding. I mean, basically, what you were doing was applicability. You know, you yep. were illustrating you know sort of Tolkien's principle of applicability, and and that's exactly I think. What people tend to, um, people who are totally non-fantasy people, do seem to speak of it as if it's just like, why would I, why would I invest myself, you know, my time in reading something which is completely detached from, you know, all like my entire life and all human experience? Like I'd have to take time out from the world in order to indulge in this totally irrelevant thing. And of course, as everybody knows who actually does read and study fantasy, it's anything but irrelevant to your life and to the world. Yep. Um, it's it's a really good way of working through and dealing with your life in the world, actually. So yep. so sort of seeing that in action in your wedding, it totally doesn't surprise me that uh, that some that somebody. But uh, but again, but yeah, definitely uh, uh, you know well done on sort of illustrating that. You know that's really cool. That's right. That's right. So even 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 through the wedding, I'm sitting here evangelizing Tolkien. Yes. <laughs> right. So that was that was fantastic. Um, 
uh, Trish and I both uh, Trish and I both choked up at the same point in her reading, like right at the end. <laughs> with the little um, right at the, the end. With the little read, with, yeah, the 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 last line that we included about that them. line that you love. Yeah, them yes. being together beyond the, beyond the circles, circles of, the world. of the world. Yep. So that was yeah. good. Um, the 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 little letter that. Uh, Father Jerry had each of us write was um, I, I I tied that directly into the the reading um, and and yeah he did he multiple times had to chop and stop and say how do I pronounce this word uh, and and I'm glad because those little sort of mo the the levity provided by those moments rescued me from uh, uh, from bursting into tears probably like right. uh, like uh, <laughs> Sam. So, uh, so that, yeah, th those things, it was all great. And I think people, people actually did appreciate it, even though, even if they weren't familiar with the readings, they felt like it really, they were like, it felt thoroughly like you guys. Like we could tell that, uh, that, that, that a lot of personal touches have been put in. And, and at the rehearsal dinner, as Trish said, I did in fact, cause we had cut the song of parting out of the reading. We had decided that was too long. So, so I compensated okay. by reading <laughs> an extended version of it from the lay of Lathian. <laughs> <laughs> from the book of lost the tales the rehearsal dinner if i can't subject my wedding guests to this then i will subject my rehearsal people to twice as much yep <laughs> <laughs> excellent yeah so so anyway yeah it was great had a good time um I, i'm looking forward to uh, that the website if people are curious for our, our wedding was um long and it's still up and you can go check out the uh, the I used the Hobbiton sign font on the on the website and uh, I don't know I might might keep it going might might actually use the blog we'll see yeah, yeah. so yeah, do as a blog do as a merry blog now that's right but let's uh let's get on All to right. some Hobbit Corey take it away yes yeah. okay so the 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 main thing you know what one of the one of the primary uh, points of interest for me in the question of the beginning. I mean, it, it, this might be one of the topics which sort of seems to be kind of more trivia-oriented in nature. That is, there's no real, like, book analysis and discussion that's really relevant to the question of where are they going to start. But we can make how, one up. How are they going to start the film? But anyway, here's, <clears throat> here's though what I think about it. It is a really interesting moment for thinking about... How, sort of bigger picture stuff. It's not about, you know, how are they going to take this one particular character or this one particular scene or sequence or anything like that, but really about how are they going to, what are they going to be focusing on thematically? It's not to say, of course, it would be over, way oversimplifying things to suggest that the opening scene, you know, uh, lays out the theme for the entire film, but it's a really important moment. Um, and if we think back to you know the examples that we have just as an illustration if we think back to the opening scenes and I'm thinking here especially of the opening scenes of the two towers and the return of the king films um, you know as those 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 parallel moments of starting not at the very beginning of the story but starting in the middle and we see how they treated those as you may recall the opening sequence of the two towers film is the flashback to Gandalf and the Balrog on the bridge which then continues that sequence from Gandalf's perspective instead of from the from the fellowship's point of view and with him plummeting down with the Balrog and ending with his fight on the mountaintop and and you may recall the context of all of that is that it's a dream that Frodo's having. At the end of that sequence, Frodo wakes up when they hit the when they hit the 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 water, 
Um, so yeah, they don't do the fight on the mountaintop in that first sequence. But but anyway, they 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 do you know Gandalf and the Balrog plummeting down. So what that opening sequence gives to us in the two towers is not just a link back to what happened in the Fellowship of the Ring, and also a setup for the return of Gandalf as Gandalf the White in the in the two towers. Um, though of course that opening accomplishes both of those things, but it invites us to think about. Frodo and what's going on with Frodo in the two towers um, being his trip to Mordor and his struggle with the ring which is really emphasized through his interactions with Gollum and the kind of parallel that the film establishes uh, as of course the book does as well between Frodo and Gollum and their relationships with the ring. Um, it, it invites us to see the, uh, the sort of the drama of Frodo's character in that story as in the context of 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 Gandalf, so that that connection between Frodo and Gandalf's stand against the Balrog, um, you know that 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 link, that that juxtaposition of a Frodo struggling with the Ring and Gandalf standing against the Balrog is hmm. how we're how we start that film, and I think that that works very interestingly, actually, um, because of course you have the one thing, the Balrog, which is this you know very obvious external malevolent force. And, you know, the courage of Gandalf in standing against it, against what seemed like insurmountable odds. And, you know, this is certainly something in the book that's heavily emphasized in that scene, you know, showing uh, the, the way that Tolkien in his description emphasizes how small Gandalf is in comparison to the Balrog and how he, you know, he looks like a little bent withered tree. And he's just this one little, little, you know, uh, spot of light, which is being uh, threatened to be engulfed by shadow and flame. Um, but again, to to make a connection the way that the film does between that um, very dramatic, very sort of climactic and external stand against darkness and Frodo's much, obviously much more internal, much more prolonged, much less climactic, at least at that point in the story, um, stand against evil uh, and his conflict with evil. In his uh, in his wearing of the ring and his relationship with the ring, that, that I think is really interestingly done. I think it's very well done in the film, um, and has a really interesting effect. Um, so again, does it mean that like the that opening scene, you know, says what's important and what's going on in uh, you know in the the whole movie as a whole? No, but it's but again, it's very interesting, um, and it. Uh, uh, it, it, it does show us, it does give us some kind of cues about the film. Now, the Return of the King film, as uh, we may recall, starts with the flashback to the finding of the ring um, by, uh, by, Smeag by Diagol and Smeagol and the, the, the throttling of Diagol. Um, and, you know, that's an important uh, scene. So it's interesting that both of these scenes are kind of ultimately Frodo-related. Um, the second one much more strongly so, of course, um, as it strongly emphasizes the parallels between, um, between Frodo and, and Gollum by showing Gollum in his pre-Gollum state <clears throat> and showing that dramatic, um, you know, the, the, the dramatic like montage of, uh, you know, Gollum becoming Gollum uh, in appearance. 
as the ring corrupts him at the end. And of course, as you know, many people, anyone who has watched the video appendices um, of the films knows Peter Jackson was going to emphasize that much more strongly by actually having a moment um, with Faramir. Uh, at the end of the Frodo and near the end of the Frodo and Faramir sequence, where Frodo himself was going to like begin to adopt some of the phys- manifest some of the physical characteristics that were going to be deliberately paralleled uh, to those scenes of Smeagol in transitional mode uh, between Happy Hobbit, who then throttles his friend, and you know the Gollum that we've already met. Uh, so. So again, we can see the way that that is <clears throat> that that is set up, and obviously the way that uh, the, the 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 recollection, you know, the dramatization of the finding of the ring and the throttling of Diagol, how that sets us up for the Gollum scene at the end, and you know, Gollum's uh, betrayal and seizing of the ring and falling into the fire. Um, you know, again, there there are some clear ways in which we are set up, in which the film is anticipating that, and kind of informing our reception of those later sequences there, uh, as well. Um, but um, so anyway, so th- these are for me the things that I am thinking about as we approach talking about the beginning of the film, because to me the question of how are they going to start film two of the Hobbit um, is. Uh, is is a very intriguing one because it's gonna have it's gonna it's it can potentially have a large impact on what the focal point of the second film is. Now you notice in talking about <clears throat> the two towers opening, for instance, one of the things that is uh, sort of most different um, between the two towers as an open as a film two opener and uh, the Desolation of Smaug as a film two opener is that the story had already divided. So from the beginning of the two towers, we have the two major plot strands already separate. Um, you know, the, uh, the rest of the Fellowship and Frodo and Sam. And uh, we don't have that yet. That, that's not established going into the beginning of the second. Now I think that we are going to get a split plot we're going to get split plot strands in the second film as we're, as Gandalf is soon going to depart and is going to go off and do his thing while the company continues on through Mirkwood. Um, so that's going to happen in the second film, but it hasn't already happened. Um, so I wonder if that is going to play a greater role in the beginning. And I just, so I sort of wonder how, uh, you know, it's, whether or not that's going to factor in what kind of things they're going to, <clears throat> what kind of cues they're going to provide, what kind of juxtapositions they might invite in uh, in the opening sequence here. So, so for me, that's kind of what's at stake here. It's not, ju- it's it's for me not just a point of curiosity, um, in as much as I am interested, as I as I always am, you know, in thinking in these kinds of ways, in these kinds of analytical ways about the film and what they're doing in the film. Um, it's it's to me, a very interesting and revealing question. And as I said, I think that uh, that Jackson did a really great job in the opening sequences of the first of the Lord of the Rings films. I think they're both um, they both work very admirably. So I will be very interested to see what he comes up here. Uh, what are the initial thoughts from you guys? I I wonder if Jackson is going to be able to actually pass up the chance to do a little bit more uh, filling in of you know history a la, a la 
the Return of the King type, you know, back flashback kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons I think that is one of the things that I shared with you that Dave, I haven't shared with you yet is um, it, there's been, you know, uh, information out that they were looking for extras with character faces. I think it was last week or the week before there was news about, you know, people looking at the, the they started filming again this week and they were looking for extras with character faces. And the rumor was that the, that these extras with character faces were for a scene that was going to be taking place in Brie. And my first reaction was when would they do a scene in Brie? I guess it would be Gandalf and Bilbo coming home after the adventure. But then after that, I thought, well, no, actually it could be a flashback to Thorin and Gandalf meeting at the Prancing Pony prior to the adventure starting, which would be, you know, given Jackson's history, that could conceivably be something he he could kick off movie two with. Mm -hmm. Or even movie three, I guess, for that matter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's possible that he might not be able to, you know, resist it, but um, I, I don't, I don't know that I really have an opinion about that in terms of wh- whether that's really likely or not in this case. What do you think, Dave? <sighs> that's a good question, because remember, we were, <clears throat> we, we had a long debate about, uh, you know, we sort of assumed that the first film would start with some kind of historical flashback. I think I think I think it'd be fair to say that we we that we actually hoped he would and that we would get Battle of Five Armies, but we I think we 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 debated a lot like you know what, what do they want to start with if they're going to do a historical flashback? Is it going to be something with Battle of Five Armies? Is it going to be something with Smog and and uh, Dale? You mean, and you talking about Asenol Bazaar? As yeah. an Obazar, you meant, or, right? Yeah, yeah, as, an, as an Obazar. Oh, my God, I'm really toasted this week, apparently. Just, like, <laughs> brains fried. Yeah, Battle of As an Obazar. Come on, David, come on. So, um, and I think, uh, and I think, um, and I, and so I, I, I wonder if that's that dynamics at play here where there is a lot of history that you'd want to kind of plumb and try to set the stage uh, and that, um yeah, I don't know. That's a good question because he did, technically, he did, he did as an Obazar and he did uh, Lonely Ma- the Attack on the Lonely Mountain both. Um, yeah. And, and really, if you start thinking sort of what are his, if he wants to do a historical flashback, what are the really really significant events that we have left for us um, uh, to to present that are that are really impact on the story. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, um, um, Thrain's capture, possibly. Yep. Um, yep. <clears throat> Something Thrain related. Yeah. I was thinking. In I fact, like. Yeah, or whatever circumstances had Thrain give him the map and key, and, and whatever in Jackson's universe that would be. Yep. I mean, I, I I would just say I love the idea, and I hope it happens at some point or other. I love the idea of doing a flashback to the meeting between Thorin and Gandalf. Um, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. I, yeah, I, I think it could be interesting. Uh oh. You guys hearing the hum? Yeah. yeah oh, that's probably me. I know it's me. It's me. Okay. Okay. There I we know go. What it is. Ah, what was it? Um, okay. It's my computer. I have it plugged into my little outlet here in my car. Uh huh. And um, when I plugged it back in to power my computer to charge my computer, it was causing the hum. Oh so, uh, yeah. That mystery is solved. Okay. Very good. <laughs> uh, anyway, so so yeah, no, I, I I think that it would be really I I love the idea of the of the Thorin and Gandalf back scene. Here's my my vote about that though. I think if that happens, it could be a good opening sequence. But that I could see being a film three opening sequence. 
And here's my reason for saying that, is that I think, you know, I asked myself, what would be accomplished in a flashback to the meeting between Thorin and Gandalf? And to me, the main thing that would be accomplished would be an emphasis on Thorin's leadership and his kingship. You know, to have a conversation about how he wants to restore his kingdom and, uh, and you know, how that could be achieved and Gandalf agreeing to help him do that. Um, you mm. know, I think of... I think of the, the Azanul Bazaar flashback that was inserted into film one and the immediate frame of that flashback that is in Balin's dialogue, both what Balin says right before the flashback and what Balin says right after the flashback. And that whole flashback, the context of that entire flashback within the film is on Thorin's leadership. You know, uh, like, you know, that's when I knew, like, that, that, that he was a king that I would follow, right? You know, that's the, um, you know, so it starts off with, um, let me explain why Thorin's a little touchy on the goblin question, right? You know, that's how Balin gets into it. And then he leaves it with, you know, like, and this is why I follow him. You know, this is when, this is, like, why Thorin is such an awesome king and such a great leader. Um, and I think that that is where, you know, so thinking film three... I think that that question, the question of Thorin's kingship and his and you know his, his leadership and what his kingship looks like, that's going to be a major focus, I think, of film three. Um, you know, I, you know, I think of the line in the book when Gandalf says to Thorin that he's that he's uh, you know he he's not making a very excellent figure as king under the mountain. Um, uh, you know, he's not he, he's not getting off to a good start. Yeah, that's that's and, a that's a good. I like that suggestion. So I think that that's going to be a focal point. At least, okay. Let me say this more honestly. That's what I would make a focal point of film three, um, uh, <laughs> as as everything around you know the siege of the Lonely Mountain deteriorates. Um, basically, Thorin temporarily falling short of the ideal that is painted for us in the Azanul Bazaar sequence by Balin. And we get this, you know, Thorin as excellent, uh, courageous, and self-sacrificial leader. And then we get Thorin instead giving into, you know, pride and greed and, um, and you know, pig-headedness uh, leading up to the Battle of Five Armies. And then, you know, the restoration you know, then the self, then back to self-sacrifice and courage in his last charge during the battle. Um, so, but but again, I think that to me, that's one of the things that would be um, that could be very effectually emphasized by a, sh a flashback shot of right. the conversation between Thorin and Gandalf. Yeah, and I um, think uh, I think that would that would definitely fit with everything else that they've done. And, uh, and I, and I agree, it seems like the right place for it would be the third film, uh, to, to remind us of that. And also to kind of bring yeah. after, after everything that that's probably going to happen in the packed second film with, with, um, necromancer mm -hmm. and dragon and everything, <laughs> um, with all of that, it would be appropriate to have that in the third film to kind of bring us back to remind us like, you know, what, 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 what we're really here for, what, what is the main storyline in the films? It's, it's, um, right you know, Thorne going to reclaim his kingship and stuff. Right. Especially if we do get, uh, I mean, cause there will be two things basically, which could serve as <clears throat> well, which will serve, um, I believe as kind of local climaxes of the story during film two, namely, uh, the confrontation and probable death of Smaug 
and uh, and quite likely the confrontation with the necromancer. If <clears throat> if what we have been calling the Battle of Dol Guldur and the the uh, death of Smaug at Esgaroth both happen in film two, then y you're right, Dave. We might well need to start film three with a reminder of wait, the story's not over, right? Why is the story not over? What is left to do in this story? Um, and that, I think, could be a really excellent way uh, for them to reestablish this idea, to say, hey, look, okay, the dragon's dead. Because remember, I mean, that happens in the book, right? You know, th there's that moment when the narrator tells us that, you know, Bilbo thought that with the death of the dragon, the adventure was, properly speaking, over, right? But, right. Uh, but as we will see, he was not quite right about that. Um, and basically, that could be like this sort of the, the, the theme of the introduction to the third film. Um, it looks like the story is over. It looks like the adventure is over. But if you think that, you know, you will find, like Bilbo, that you are not quite right. Um, so, <laughs> so I do think that that's a way to, um, uh, to, to, to do that. Now, I think... One of the things, um, one of the things we're going to need. Uh, Philip was just mentioning, you know, possibly it opens with more voiceover from old Bilbo. I can imagine a return to the frame narrative. Um, you know, that kind that that kind of thing is certainly a an available mechanism. I mean, the Fellowship, the the Lord of the Rings films don't have the kind of frame mechanism that the Hobbit did. Right, you know, we don't have any of that. You know, we had the exposition from Galadriel, but that's not a frame narrative in the same sense. You know, that we got Bilbo, old Bilbo, and Frodo in Bag End at the beginning of the of the first Hobbit film. So it is conceivable that we could return uh, to the frame narrative at the beginning of the second film, even if it's um, just in voiceover format. It could, it could, that could, you know, I could see that. Conceivably, yeah, we could get some yeah. more, some more, some more Ian Holmes. Especially since there. Bilbo at the very end says, "Well, you know, all the worst is behind us now." So right. <laughs> you could start film two with Bil old Bilbo saying some, you know, kind of addressing that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I do. I hope. I kind of. There's part of me that hopes that they actually do bring us bring us back to in some some way incorporate the frame story. I I don't want to I don't want to just abandon it altogether right up until like the end of the third film where it's like, oh yeah, there was a frame right. story. Completely forgot about that. Like it'd be nice. That's if right. I, that's I, a, I kinda, actually that's a good point. I kind of wish they had done it at the end of the first film, although that might have been a little like anticlimactic, maybe. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the end of the first film I thought worked really well, and it might have been, I mean, it would have been hard for it not to feel like kind of pointless denouement at the end. And then the other thing I would say is the way they introduced the frame, it strikes me as unlikely that we're going to return to the frame prior to the end of the third film because of the way they did it. They set it up as Bilbo writing his memoirs and... Mm -hmm in this sort of confessional mode, right? I've told you the story, now I'm going to tell you the real story. So, you know, Bilbo writing, like, the secret, uh, uh, you know, version of the, uh, of his previous journey and his finding of the ring. Um, and, and that the way that they, you know, the interaction between old Bilbo and Frodo at the beginning where he's like, it's not ready for reading yet, right? So he's, he's denying access in it. And that, 
that, so that kind of, to me, sets it up for a continuous narrative all the way through, because the way to, the, the, the most logical way, it seems to me, to do, um, you know, the frame story breaking in again would be to do some kind of interruption or discussion uh, with an audience member. I, you know, again, so like, you know, a conversation between him and Frodo, say. Mm -hmm. But he's excluded Frodo from this story at the beginning, um, so that's right. not going to so that's not going to happen. So right. we certainly are not going to get so. And again, you know, to me and I, I've made this this parallel before. But for me, when I think about this kind of frame story, frame narrative in a film, I always go back to the Princess Bride, which is for me like the canonical. Uh, uh, version of this kind of film narrative, you know, with the story being told, like, ha having a storyteller and an audience, and then, you know, this, the, the, mm -hmm. the film that we're, that we're doing. So yeah, The Princess Bride is for me like the, 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 the prime example of this kind of technique. So P Peter Falk is Bilbo and Fred Savage is Frodo. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, but of course, you, you, you'll notice the way thought. that they... <laughs> <laughs> the, way that, the way that they manage the um, uh, actually I could see Peter Falk as old Bilbo, you know, I, I could, I Fred could, Savage. Yeah. Well, no, not Fred Savage. Well, when that. he was little, uh, Fred Savage is like, yeah, no. Yeah. Well, anyway, anyway the, point is, the point is, the point is, like, of course, <laughs> the, the, the return to the frame narrative uh, as it's managed there is managed by interactions with the, you know, when the when the audience interrupts or asks a question or something like that. And that would, that that is, a, but basically there would have to be some kind of excuse to return. If we're given, like, now Bilbo is going to sit and write the whole story, there'd have to be some reason that he breaks off or does something else. And that seems to me kind of forced because he's not, Interacting yeah. with anybody, yeah. you know, it's his own private thing. So yeah. we, there'd have to be some reason, something would have to be accomplished by um, by returning to the frame narrative. And although it's possible that something could be, um, I uh, uh, I don't see what exactly would be accomplished or how it would be accomplished. He could be interrupted. I mean, he could be writing and somebody could break in on him or something. Um, but, uh, uh, I mean, they could even conceivably continue the theme that is, as they, you know, the way that they made the opening frame narrative not only Bilbo and Frodo in Bag End, but Bilbo and Frodo in Bag End on the day that the Fellowship of the Ring film begins, with Frodo going off to meet Gandalf. Um, I was just going to say, you know, Frodo shows back up again. Gandalf's going to exactly. have to be with him if we're in the frame well, narrative. And, and so. he could. They could do yeah. a conversation between old Bilbo and Gandalf when Gandalf returns. Because right. you'll recall, in the spirit of, like, showing back scenes that didn't, you know, that we didn't see in the Fellowship of the Ring film, you know, you'll remember that we get Frodo meeting Gandalf, Frodo riding in the cart with Gandalf back towards Bag End, um, and, you know, but we don't see Gandalf arriving at mm -hmm, that end, mm -hmm. right? You know, it, it sort of cuts forward at that point. Um, uh, so right. so it's conceivable. It's possible. So we could have Gandalf saying, so we could have yeah. Gandalf saying, so what do you got there? What are you doing? Oh, I'm writing my story. And Gandalf goes, oh, yeah, good times, good times. Right. Some kind of right. conversation between Gandalf <laughs> and Bill, or even, you know, even conceivably something like Gandalf being like, 
you know, uh, which story are you writing, I wonder, or like which version of the story yeah. are you writing, I wonder. That, I mean, that could be good. Yeah, that's the a good more answer. I think about this, the more, the more possibilities yeah. that seems to have. Um, well, and but, I could see Bilbo saying something like, um, you know, I, I really thought everything was behind us when we stood on the Carrick, you know, and then we dissolve right. into the story or something like that. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's conceivable. It's, it's possible. I mean, it, Gandalf's arrival would be a sufficient excuse, perhaps, to interrupt the frame narrative, to interrupt with the frame narrative again. Um, now, Brianna makes a good point. Now, I have to admit that Brianna and, and I, by proxy, have an advantage and that Brianna has done this awesome job of, of stringing together all of the footage that we have been, you know, privy to from Jackson over the last year plus into sort of a chronological narrative. And she makes a point if there's that deleted scene of, we assume it's built, well, we know it's it's Gandalf at a party of young of hobbits, you know, children. And we're assuming it's the scene where he actually meets Bilbo as a child. And she makes a point of saying that. That's a flashback that could also conceivably yeah, be on there, the list. Yeah, there is a flashback flashbacks. scene floating around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where would, that, mm-hmm. would this be the moment for that? Well, okay, so I, I can say I have two questions. My first question is, would this be the moment for that flashback? And my second question is, what would be the moment for that flashback? Right, yeah. Um, well, yeah. for me, the, the, the point of the flashback would probably be more to show Tookishness, you know, that the, sort of the, um, you know, the latent Tookishness that maybe Bilbo had. But you're right. I mean, you know, a place for that probably would have been sometime in film one, if that's what you're wanting to show. Because to me, that's really the only reason you'd have it, really, is to show Bilbo being sort of a different personality than what he is. But by the time we're at the end of film one, he's already kind of shifted, right? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I I I tend to agree with what Brent just said, um, which is that he thinks that the 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 young Hobbit, the yeah, young Bilbo flashback is going to be yeah. an extended version. I think yeah. it's probably yeah. a film one extended version thing, is what I would think. Um, uh, yeah, that would be my because it's hard to see how how that kind of background setup for Bilbo's character could be relevant at this point. At that um, point, yeah, we've established right. the Tookishness. Yeah. I mean, that's that's been. Yeah. That was one of the big struggles, you know, the, him going from B- Bilbo moving in his character from I am a Baggins of Bag End and I refuse to go on the journey to right. I am leaping forward and killing orcs to defend Thorin at the end. Like that's the, you know, that's the arc that 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 right. arc has gone. You know, that arc has happened. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's that probably, arc has sailed. Yep, that, that arc has that, that arc has <laughs> sailed. <laughs> yes, exactly. But but uh, I also want to bring up what uh, um, Michael Lucero was just saying, which I think is a really good suggestion. He says, um, "What if Gandalf does show up or with Bilbo in the frame narrative?" Or with with Frodo in the frame narrative, um, and the third movie could end by cutting away from the flashback story and have the last scene from the actual Hobbit book that is Bilbo, you know, the Bilbo saying thank goodness and handing him the tobacco jar uh, in the in the frame narrative instead of in the actual in the actual you know sort of flashback story. Um, th- I think that's really interesting to to, well, to use cool. the end, yeah. as a as an ending mechanism rather than as a film opening mechanism. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I, I do agree with him. If we're gonna get uh, that conversation, the conversation between Bilbo and Gandalf, with which the book ends, um, if we're gonna get that, it would make to me more sense to put it within the end of the 
60 years later frame sequence. Right. Of course, even right. in the book, it's, it's significantly later. I mean, time passes right. uh, between the end of the action and Bilbo's return journey. And then, you know, at some undefined number of years later, uh, Balin and Gandalf visit and they have that conversation. So, you know, rather than introducing a third time frame within the story of the film, I, I would think that they would do that in the 60 years later frame. Um, so I, I, I like that. And, and, you know, and if that's, if that's true, if that's going to be where it's going to go, as Michael's suggesting, then I would, I would imagine that they would not, in fact, then be using Gandalf's arrival. No, that would be a third movie. Yeah. One in the middle. So, I mean, they have um, talked about that Frodo being, you know, they have talked about it being bookends. I mean, you know, and every time they've interviewed uh, Elijah Wood, you know, he talks about Frodo being bookends, meaning beginning and end of the trilogy. So, you know, there hasn't been really an in indication, although I guess at that time there was only going to be two movies. So. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And Dave, sorry, I interrupted I'm, you. Yeah, I I think, um, no, no worries, by the way. Um I I'm I don't think they'll start with the frame story on this. I, I think I think maybe they might start with voiceover, like in the um, uh, in the beginning of the first film. So maybe like uh, older Bilbo voicing over some some set of events, just to to uh, you know kind of remind us of it. But I don't know. You know the the one thing the one thing that a lot of people did say about the first film is I think a lot of Tolkien fans were gratified to see. The, the really extensive um, uh, Dale's, Dale and Lonely Mountain scene and all the historical events, um, and then the callback to old Bilbo and old Frodo. But then a lot of people were like, at the same time, the movie basically didn't start until about a half hour in. <laughs> and I, it's hard. Like, if they do that again, they're going to get mocked uh, by the critics. Right. They're just going to get hammered. And I don't think they have time for it. There's part of me that, like... I, like the idea that kind of appeals to me, and I know a lot of people are talking about Bjorn. How will they? Maybe they'll start at Bjorn's house with the dwarves being chased in by bees and stuff. There's part of me that actually thinks that kind of one possibility that would be really efficient way to get the film rolling fast would be to start the film with the dwarves already in Bjorn's house sitting at dinner with with Bilbo right. narrating over it. Like, let's just get into this film and get going. Like, no, like, 20-minute um, introductory sequence of getting into Bjorn's house with kind of weirdness with bees or, like, the, you know, long introductions or extensive history or, you know, we can maybe insert a historic, like, because... Because the Battle of Azanobazar, what that showed us is they can find ways to do flashbacks and history um, without doing it as a, a prologue. Like, they have no qualms right. about just inserting it right into right. the middle of the story. So there, uh, there's something right. that appeals to me about right. the idea of, like, let's just accelerate right into the film. Let's not even bother with the Bjorn introduction. Let's just start with them at sitting at the table having a meal at Bjorn's house. And then you can maybe have Bilbo narrating yeah. over it. So okay, but now if that's the case, that still is a return to frame narrative, right? Because we have old Bilbo narrating. If we have old Bilbo narrating, then yes, I suppose. Rather than action um, continues in real time. It depends on what the focus is. I mean, if the focus is on them sitting in Bjorn's house, then that's carrying on. But but I, I want to introduce another possibility because. Okay. Though I agree with you, Dave, I wouldn't expect nearly so prolonged a prologue thing. Yet there is one 
piece of background that I think would be uh, very, which at least could be very uh, sufficiently useful to the plot of the story that is going to unfold, mm -hmm. that it might be worth them venturing on at least a couple minutes of background. Um, and here I'm thinking of Gandalf's finding of the map and the mm -hmm. background, some background with Thrain mm -hmm. and the necromancer and stuff, because Gandalf is soon going to depart. So at some point or other, we're going to have to get, first of all, we have absolutely no idea how Gandalf came across the map. That has been left a complete blank by film one. That's true. You know, he just, he just pulls it, it looks like literally pulls it out of his sleeve uh, at, at the party um, and it, <clears throat> it's possible it may well be that we're never going to learn that I mean he may just leave that um, that's conceivable, I, I, it's not like I can't imagine that but um, we are um, I think that it could be something that was left unexplained in order to come back and explain later uh, because if we do if we do get the background encounter of with between Gandalf and Thrain, that could help to set up. You combine that with what we learned about the necromancer in film one, in order to give a more clear and focused setup for the Dal Guldur plot, which will be presumably uh, moving along in film number two. Because we're all ready for the continued journey of you know, Bilbo and Thorin and the dwarves. I mean, as you say, we could easily carry on with that. Let's get into Bjorn's house and keep trucking uh, through Mirkwood. Um, but we are, I say we, we are ready for the Dal Guldur plot, but the film <laughs> viewing audience as a whole, I think, is is still insufficiently um, prepared for the Dal Guldur plot, and connections need to be made. Well, and that's one of the things, Corey, that you had come up with, you, you, we had talked about before we started, yeah. and actually Kay Ben Avraham has said this, she says, is there a, ch a chance the movie might start from a completely fresh character arc, the Mirkwood Elves or some such, and we had talked about, you know, it could still be in real time, but it could be, meanwhile, elsewhere in Middle-earth right. kind right. of beginning, yep. where maybe it's Bolg reporting to to Sauron or Azog doing something, you know, so the movie could actually start right. with or a different Lego Centurial, line. Or Lego Centurial. Or Lego Centurial, yeah. In, Going in, out in to hunt moment. spiders or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, entirely possible. Entirely possible. I mean, we could get, you know, get a, here's what's going on in one of the, with some of the other characters and some of the subplots which did not emerge in film one but will be important in film two. I could definitely see that. Right. Um, and if that's yeah. the case, that's still real time. I mean, it's still happening right. in Right, right. It's just somewhere else. What about yeah. a um, actual, what about actual a flashback to the finding of the map? I find very attractive. But go ahead, David. What yeah, about me too. A, I like that one. What about a trick that works similar to the way they transition from the uh, from the Smaug attack flashback to the frame story, where we go, where we're where we start with um, we start with the story of uh, Thrain's map, or um, it told. Some in some form or fashion, and maybe even Thrain's uh, um, fate, uh, voiceover by let's say Gandalf, maybe he's the most sensible person telling it, and then uh, we find out that they're actually sitting at dinner at Bjorn's right. house exactly. telling the story. Yep, that's actually mm -hmm. what made me think of that. that's why I brought that up when I did, Dave, because mm -hmm. your talk about them sitting around in Bjorn's house at dinner is what made me think of that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we get that in Gandalf's voice. 
and then he because it would be perfectly natural for them to be sitting around at dinner in Bjorn's house telling stories and somebody to have said, you know, Gandalf, where did you get this map? Uh, and Gandalf right. telling the story. <clears throat> Absolutely, I could really, I could easily see that. That's true, and uh, and that um, it, it it I think there's a there's a it's not coming out of nowhere. There's a storyline there because they Gandalf and uh, and Thorin on multiple occasions have exchanges related to the map and the key, where where basically Thorin says. You know, like that that wasn't yours to withhold from me. You know, Gandalf tells him, like, right. I didn't give that to you so you could do X, Y and Z. And Thorne's like, I, I didn't know that that was yours to keep from me. I'm pretty sure that was right. mine. Right. <clears throat> right. Right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Very yeah, nice. Absolutely. Very nice script writing there. Yes. Yeah. Because, well, especially since, you know, there is that moment um, <clears throat> when uh, uh, when in the book, when Thorin says something somewhat slighting or at least with potential negative implications um, when he asks Gandalf where he where he came by the key and the map and Gandalf rises to it and he's like I didn't come by it I was given it uh, and so yeah so that <laughs> that kind of an exchange um, and where he says that like you know the the dwarf who gave it to him couldn't even remember his own name uh, and never told me and never told me yours so you know all in all I think I should be praised and thanked he says um, well I, you know and I yeah. think back to the movie where Gandalf basically says your father gave it to me and Thorin never says a word to him you know I mean I could see like a Bjorn's house Thorin saying by the way I've been mean to ask you <laughs> right. because I never did ask you you said yep. my father gave it to you know it's like we've we've gone through all this stuff mm -hmm. I mean you know I always thought that was an odd thing that Thorin given Thorin's character wouldn't have yeah. said to Gandalf what do you mean my father gave it to you you know kind yeah. of thing so we don't, uh, if we do <clears throat> just come right into sitting around the table in Bjorn's hall <clears throat> if we did that I would hope that we would get the animals waiting uh, tables without any comment whatsoever. Like that would be awesome. You know, like they're all sitting around and then you just see in the background like a dog walking on its hind legs carrying a tray and somebody like taking a drink off the tray and nobody comments on it or says anything. Or better yet, you, you the start the movie with a fade in on a tray that's obviously being carried and, you pan out and it's a dog. That's how the movie starts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what I I I want. That I'm I'm gonna vote for that now. Just 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 out of pure desire. If they don't do that, I'll be devastated. I I have a tendency to think that Jackson's gonna start us off on a more adrenaline pumping beginning. I mean, you know, like Yana says in the questions, you know, because we're kind of skipping over the fact that we've seen this scene of them running through. Bjorn's front doors as if they were fleeing something, which many of us think are probably bees. Um, and I said, well, you know, that just because we've seen that doesn't mean it's going to be in the movie. It could be an extended edition. But I do think that something like that is more Jackson's style, you know, for them to be fleeing something, you know, get the get the action pumping as soon as possible. Um, I don't know that, but again, you know, our question really is how is the movie going to begin? You know, that could be a couple of scenes in. It may not be the very beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think certainly the evidence of, you know, the, 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 the previous films that we have to work with 
does not give us a very large statistical sample. Um, two is not a very large statistical sample. I'm thinking of the two towers in the <laughs> King films. But both of those do begin with flashbacks. So we definitely have lot, plenty of precedent for that kind of thing. Um, and I do think there are... Now, I... I, 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 I I'm not sure there do seem to be fewer necessary flashbacks available to us. Not that I would have predicted the finding of the ring and the and the strangling of Diagol. Um, I don't think I would have predicted that as an obvious no. and necessary no. flashback. Um, you know, had we been doing the riddles in the dark prior to the release of that film, I don't think I would have predicted that opening. No, I wouldn't have either. Um, I certainly wouldn't have predicted Gandalf and the Balrog either. Um, so. Nope. So, you know, we have, you know, we're saying, like, well, there's not too many more flashbacks they can do, and that, well, apparently, <laughs> you can think of flashbacks that we wouldn't have thought of, because I am sure I wouldn't have thought of either one of those. Um, That's right. If we but, can't think of it, then then it's not going to happen. <laughs> right. Now, As we've seen. Brianna makes ample it. evidence for that. Yes. Brianna makes a really good point here, which is, you know, in the case, in in the storytelling mode, if we are talking flashback, it's also, um, you know, the opening sequence, who is having the flashback, whose head are we starting the film in, and how does that start their character arc for this film, which I think is really pertinent if we're talking, you know, if we're thinking in terms of a flashback for the opening. So I just want to put those that in, because I think those are good points. Yeah, no, it's true, exactly. I mean, you know, the wave, ex- I think starting the film... <clears throat> starting the two towers concerning Gandalf but in the head of Frodo is important and right. does establish an important thing right. for that film um, starting right. the third film essentially in the head of Gollum yeah, is also a very interesting and important mm-hmm. choice I think for that film um, so uh, so I agree um, but I'm kind of torn you know it, it, to sort of think about it in that context um, if we start this film in somebody's head, in whose head do we start it? Candidates would be right. uh, old Bilbo, young Bilbo, <laughs> Gandalf, Thorin. <laughs> um, you know, there are a lot of possibilities there. And uh, I, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. In some ways, I kind of like uh, the Gandalf. Or again, it could be something completely different. You know, I mean, um, right. Smaug's head. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe Smaug will have his Turin dream at the beginning of movie two. You know, I was wondering about it. that's. It's going to be one of my Smaug-related questions when we get to Smaug eventually. Is are we going to get uh, Smaug's little Turin? Dream? Ooh, I'm going to remember uh, that for a conundrum. For yeah, more and yeah. I to do. Yeah, and and so. just to explain to. Uh, people, I've talked about this several times in my Mythgard classes, but the, if you if you read through the the his first trip, Bilbo's first trip down, Smaug is asleep and he's having a dream. Uh, the book describes him having a dream. He has a dream in which a warrior, altogether insignificant in size but equipped with a bitter sword, um, fe- fe- features most un- unpleasantly, most uncomfortably. Um, so he's having this dream about a small dragon slayer uh, with a nasty sword, and there are two there are two sort of schools of thought on how to read this. One is that this is a relic from in the initial drafts when Tolkien was planning to have Bilbo himself kill Smaug with Sting, 
and that therefore this dream, which is present in those initial drafts, is basically uh, you know sort of a, a a foreshadowing of what's going to be happening, and that when Tolkien changed his mind about how Smaug was going to die uh, in the in the later revisions of it, he just didn't alter the dream. Um, that's one school of thought. <clears throat> the one that I myself prefer is that Tolkien himself is thinking of Turin, that this is another one of those echoes of the Silmarillion stuff. Tolkien had been thinking a lot about Turin Turinbar when he was writing The Hobbit. Um, it was not, his writing of The Hobbit was not long after. He had just been working on the very long alliterative... Um, Nani uh, Hin Hurin, you know, the, the, the alliterative Turin story that he was writing a little bit before he wrote The Lay of Lathian. So in the mid-20s, within the last decade, <clears throat> he had written, rewritten, and then rewritten in alliterative poetry form the story of Turin Turinbar. <laughs> it was very much in his head at this time. Um, so... Uh, so I'm I, I've always kind of read that as 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 a little nod to Turin and Glaurung, um, uh, that that that's the story that that basically Smaug is having a dream in which in his dream he's kind of remembering the story of how Glaurung died um, back in the first age. Right. So um, so anyway, so I just just to explain, we're talking about the Turin dream. I want to make sure people know what, what we're talking about because that's not uh, explicitly labeled in that way in the book. Um, but it would be really interesting to see if we get if we get uh, a Turin dream, uh, and now that would be an interesting opening sequence, though, wouldn't it? To get uh, to get a dragon slaying sequence, which turns out to be Smaug's dream. Yeah, he wakes up because it would connect with the end of the first film, right? The end of the first film, we get Smaug's eye opening, right? Um, so <clears throat> we don't end the first film in the head of Smaug. Uh, but we end it very near the head of Smaug, <laughs> and, <laughs> and with that image of him waking up. So, you know, maybe that's that. You know, that would be that would be unexpected. That would be kind of cool. Now, but given given the other thing, which is the, sort of their their tendency to want to tweak, you know, the Boyans Walsh uh, Jackson trio, is uh, you know I could see a premonition dream, but it would probably end up being a bowman rather than a swordsman. You know, in the movie, right? Just possibly. so that the audience, you know, isn't confused. You know, but but a premonition dream. I, I, I mean, if the dragon has a premonition dream of dying at the hands of a mortal, it counts right. in my book right. <laughs> right. as yep. a Turin dream. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Jeez, so um, many good options. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I know. I agree. Um, so let's oh, go Chuck Snow is asking what a dragon slaying sequence. Chuck Snow is asking what a dragon slaying sequence. Step on the lack of a Silmarillion rights. No, because the the dream that Smaug has is it's actually in the Hobbit. It's, it's in the it's Hobbit. In the book, he the has Hobbit, a dream of, of a dragon being killed by a yeah. sword. So yeah, no, there's no way they could be gotten for that. Um, and they would have to get pretty detailed uh, to for anyone to be able to say that they're actually depicting the story of Turin Turambar. I mean, you'd have to get Turin, like, yeah. names and the exact scenario. I mean, even if he has a get... black sword, they could right, say, exactly. oh, well, you know, we thought a black sword would be a good idea. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. No, I mean, black swords look cool. I don't know, you know, whatever. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, 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 it would, that, would be, that would be fantastically difficult, I think, to get them on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but anyway, we should let's let's yeah. Let's so let's let us officially go enumerate the, yeah, our options. I mean, things. we've been kind of talking through them, okay. and so the options and uh, you know if uh, people present uh, can think of things that we have overlooked. Uh, we've come up with four options which seem to us relatively inclusive uh, as covering the way that they could do this. So our, our question is just simply, what will be the opening scene of film number two? And our options are a that we will be continuing the story in real time. Um, and that can include, so that 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 would include joining Bilbo, Thorin, Gandalf, and company at the Carrick right after the Carrick and Bjorn's house, whatever. Just basically the continuation of the story in real time. It would also include a scene from somewhere else that's still contemporaneous, like you know we get a scene of Legolas and Toriel, you know, setting out to find out what's going on with the evil in the forest or something. As long as it's a, this is going on at the same time that the, you know, that, that Bilbo and Thorin are coming off the Carrick and going to Bjorn's house, it would count in this category. So, so again, so the first is we, we continue with this, we just continue with the story in real time. Um, the second option would be a flashback. Uh, so B oh, is no. I have return to the frame narrative. Oh, we switched to, it to return. Oh yeah, to sorry. Frame. Return to frame, frame narrative, narrative is B. Um, so <laughs> A is continue in real time. B is return to the frame narrative. So that's like basically if Ian Holm features, it's almost certainly, um, it's almost certainly, uh, return to the frame narrative. Certainly if we see Ian Holm as old Bilbo, uh, on screen, or if we see, you know, so if, if we get any voice. Elijah Wood or Ian Holm, it is B. Um. And then C is flashback, right? Am I getting the sequence right? Okay. C is flashback. So again, any historical thing. So this could be a matter of of more distant historical relevance. Um, uh, It could be recent past. Um, So again, both the Two Towers opening and the uh, Return of the King opening would count as flashback. Like you know, so C would be the correct answer for either one of those two films. Um, the one of which is a flashback to the previous movie, and the second of which is a flashback to something which happened many, you know, hundreds of years before. That's true, um, yeah. So, any flashback would be C. And then D is an expositional sequence. Uh, something like the voiceover account of the history of Erebor we got in film one, um, or... Uh, Obviously, like the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring is like the classic voiceover exposition thing. Um, I don't think exposition is terribly likely, but it seemed to be a logical option. It's certainly an option. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, Now, you know, Yana's asking even just a voiceover. I'm assuming, Yana, you're talking about Ian Holm there. Um, If we get Ian Holm's voice narrating some kind of historical thing, I would count that as exposition, not return to the frame narrative. Return to the frame narrative, I would want to see the inside of Bag End. I would want to see Ian Holm or Elijah Wood on screen. Um, it would have to be like the film is actually bringing us into that later time frame, not just hearing a voice from it. Um, if we just get Ian Holm voiceover, I would count that as exposition. Interesting. <clears throat> it's a hard choice. This is a hard choice. <laughs> it is a hard choice. I keep flip-flopping between two of them. 
At least I'm not well, flip-flopping. Oh, and, and Yana, by the way, makes the point of saying, I think this is our first riddle that doesn't have a book answer. I mean, obviously this yeah. riddle doesn't have a book answer, but his point is, I think this is the first of this season of this season, to not yeah, have a book answer. It is. Yes. It is. Yeah. It's because this is, you know, when we're asking things just about how they're going to do things in the film, the closest yeah. thing to a book answer is A, which is it continues in real time. That is, right, there's right, no right. gap. There's no That's right. change that happens. Um, <laughs> so, but though, it's really not an actual book answer. Um <clears throat> but yes, he's right. True. Actually, everything we've done pretty good. Actually, everything up until now, and we're almost at the midpoint of the year now. We have been tying to the book, so I, you know, kudos to us for doing that for the, so long. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Michael suggests he says I could see a Bjorn narrated flashback ending with a cut to the meal in his house. Uh, you know where he ends with, and that's why I hate the goblins. Um, yeah, that would be C to me. That would be flashback. Um, uh, I I would say. Well, I mean, I guess if you say if 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 we get voiceover narration, I'd be willing to call it exposition. Um, but if we're just getting like Bjorn fighting goblins and like being chased out of his homeland, then that would be a flashback. So flashbacks really action. I mean, action on film and visual action. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. exposition is voiceover. You know, like like you were saying about Bill, old Bilbo versus you know frame narrative versus exposition. So voiceover of old Bilbo would be exposition, whereas something in Bag End obviously is frame narrative. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I would say that the difference between flashback and exposition for me in this regard is um, exposition is voiceover narrative illustrated by scenes, you know, by visual scenes. Ah, got it, got it. Flashback yeah, okay. is showing okay. us a scene. Like, again, <clears throat> I just refer Actual back to, scene. The, to yeah. two classic examples. We just got Gandalf and the Balrog fighting and then plummeting into the abyss. We just got Smeagol and Diagol fishing, you know, and right. finding the ring and strangling each other. Um, so those are flashbacks. Whereas, right. again, if you just take by itself the... Attack of Smaug on Erebor and the setup, you know, that, that's exposition because it's Bilbo relating the story and that story narrated. being punctuated yeah. and illustrated by visual images and, uh, and right. segments. So right. even when we get something like, um, you know, <clears throat> Thorin, slightly younger Thorin, I, uh, speaking to very much younger Balin, uh, you know, saying, Dragon is coming, you know, then, like, that's, that's, that's still flashback. Or that's still exposition, rather. Um, you have to have the, you have to just, like, be doing the previous scene in order for it to be, in order for it to, to be, to count as a flashback, I would say. Um, oh. I'm going to go out. Okay, so. <laughs> Don't you think, Dave, did, did, does that make sense as a distinction? Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. <clears throat> Interesting. So that that's would the mean distinction that technically, okay. in these terms, the Battle of Azanul Bazar would be exposition, because it's primarily Balin telling the story, and we're getting. I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Balin telling the story with the voiceover of the battle is up. That was actually exposition. Yeah. Yeah, I would count that as exposition. Now, I mean, we, we still we call it a flashback. It's still fine. But I think for the terms of this riddle, um, that's 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 what I would be. So if we're getting a narrator. And a narrator's story being visualized for us, I would mm -hmm. count that as exposition. So, now, Murray so, Smith asked the question. Yeah, he says, if the opening is Gandalf's receiving the key, in, okay, the key map from Thryon, I would say that's a flashback, but what if it opens with a brief question by a dwarf on how Gandalf got them and he then begins to recount the story? Well, I mean, the thing, my answer to that is, is he's still going to have to set up that question. So there's still going to have to be something happening before the dwarf asks that question, which would make the flashback not the beginning of the movie. Does that make sense? 
Yes. In other words, it would probably be more of a real-time thing, and then it goes into flash because you're not going to be able to just flip right into, you know, the dwarfs right. asking the question. That would be a judgment uh, call, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It would be impractical yeah. to do that without. I mean, if like the, you know, we get the opening, uh, you know, images and the, you know, the MGM lion and all that stuff. And then the film pops up immediately to like Ori saying, "How did you get the map after all, Gandalf?" Then you know, like, that <laughs> and would that be really... his voice, right? That it's, was a nice Ori. That was good. Like, well, it's not really a good imitation. <laughs> I was just doing doofus generally, which is it's kind of how they've done Ori. But anyway, um, <clears throat> it was more the genre of Ori's character rather than an actual impersonation. Oh, right, genre. Okay. Uh, but anyway, um, so well, actually, it, it, and we should, we yeah. should make the caveat of saying that we we actually are saying all this stuff. I mean, it is going to be the judge's final decision, right? I mean, even though we have opinions about right, it, what would be right, the right, right. answers? You know, but I mean, we, so we, I we will it, defer to the yeah, judges. Yeah, because it would be a bit of a judgment call. I mean, I would think, for instance, if we get like thirty seconds of real time, just in order to set up a flashback or to set up a piece of exposition, I would still count the you know, the exposition of the flashback as the real right. opening gambit of the film. Um, but, but if the flashback happens so, 20 minutes in, then it's Or five minutes be... in, you know, then yeah. We are five I mean, like, in, basically, yeah. If, yeah. If, we, if we start the film with them walking away from the character, walking through Bjorn's gardens, and then getting chased by bees, and then sitting down to dinner, and then telling stories, clearly that's a real-time beginning, <laughs> you know. Nice. Yeah, um, what's a, okay, so now... <clears throat> What's the what's the what's the fine line between flashback and action continues in real time? Well, it's basically, is it is is at what point in movie time? Um, and I know that movie time is a rather plastic idea uh, in these films, but uh, if in movie time the first scene of the second film follows very soon after the uh, end of the first film then that counts as real time. But if it's something that happened previous to them standing on the Carrick, it's a flashback. Okay. Previous <laughs> within the movie universe, I emphasize. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because if they, if they depict something which in Tolkien's book time frame happened historically, um, but is not being introduced as necessarily happening historically in the film. It could be real-time flashback. I mean, they could very well give us a scene, you know, something happening with the necromancer or the orcs or something else, um, which is within Tolkien's written chronology historical, but not being made historical by that. I mean, we've, we've talked about how they, you know, uh, mess fairly freely with time. And by the way, on a small side note on that subject, um, this is just something that came up when I was talking with Trish this morning, and I just it's 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 kind of irrelevant, but I want to mention it before I forget about it. Um, many people have raised the question: Would there be any possibility that we would ever see a cameo of Aragorn in the Hobbit film? And uh, book <clears throat> book devotees have been very quick to quash that idea and say, "No, Aragorn is only like twelve or nine. I forget the exact number, but he's he's like an adolescent at the time of the Hobbit. We're not going to see a Viggo Mortensen cameo at any point in the Hobbit. That is true in book chronology, but I urge right. people to remember, as I only myself remembered tonight, that that is not true in film chronology." 
the the film is introduced as happening 60 years prior to the unexpected party remember it is like the day before the unexpected party um, when film oh. one begins and then we're told 60 years earlier this happens the long expected party the long expected party what did I yeah, yeah, the long-expected party. Sorry, yes. Uh, the, so the unexpected party is depicted as happening 60 right. years prior to the long-expected party. And in the Two Towers film, Extended Edition, Aragorn gives his age as 90-something. Therefore, in film time, not in book time, but in film time, Aragorn is 30-something at the time of the Hobbit film. So... He could be a ranger. Uh, it is conceivable. I'm not, I, that it does not mean that I am predicting a Viggo Mortensen cameo. I am merely pointing out, as I realized this morning when I thought it through, that a Viggo Mortensen cameo is not so impossible. It's as, theoretically possible. Uh, very, it's theoretically possible. Right. Just as a side note, wanted to point that out before I forgot about it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay. But anyway, what we're we're talking about flashbacks and what would count as a flashback and thinking about film chronology versus book chronology is what got me thinking about that. Um, so yeah, anything anything that's previous, anything that's historical. So certainly Gandalf finding the map would be historical. Gandalf meeting and talking to Thran would be would be would count as flashback. Gandalf meeting with Thorin before you know prior you know at the at the prancing pony would be a flashback. Um, you know the uh, you could do a historical flashback. We could get like the imprisoning of the Nazgul in their tombs as a flashback, conceivably. Right. Um, yeah, I don't. Know. Or what happens to Thrain when he gets dragged away at Asenol Bazaar? Yeah, we could get that. We I mean, could get another. We could get an introduction to Bolg of some kind. Yeah, yeah, we could yep. get a, some kind of introduction to Bolg in, in the past or something. <laughs> Bolg's troubled childhood, growing up with his manic, dismembered <laughs> father. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> little little soulful shots of young Bolg with wide brown eyes looking on as his father is dismembered. Absolutely. Absolutely. That would count. Well, we know that doesn't happen because we see him getting his, his adult ass whooped. At, as oh, that's bizarre, right. So. You're right. No, that's so. true. That's true. Uh, yeah. But we could get shots of, like, Bolg's... But, okay, no, no, here we go. Flashback to Bolg's resurrection as a Zombork by the Necromancer. Oh, yeah, there we go. That's, a <laughs> That's what yeah. I'm voting for. Yep. That's it. That is totally it. Now, see, I I'm going to tell you guys, yeah. to those Facebook people who say, oh, my God, Trisha's got this laugh that just drives me nuts, I, my answer to that is if Dave and Corey were not so darn funny, it wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's all our fault. Really. It's your fault. Because even when I re-listen to these on podcasts, I still laugh at the same same spots. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, Philip just had a really good suggestion. Uh, the backstory of the girl who dropped her doll in the first film. So, yeah, so we get the, <laughs> oh, opening, Yana will shot, love that. the opening shot is, is – well, you know, this, this would be a real time shot. Like we get the bur the singed doll. Uh, you know, and like the old woman holding the singed doll. Uh, a tear, you know, one tear running down her cheek. Exactly, exactly. As the <laughs> setup for when she comes in and turns out to be like Bard's mom or something like that. Um, <laughs> you know, as we talked about the possible 
you know, uh, huge tie-ins between the doll burning, yes. burning doll girl Just and the bard. But I thought Yana is very excited about that opening. <laughs> <laughs> That's Yana's opening. Yes. He loves that doll. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yep. Michael says, no, a flashback to the toy maker of Dale making the doll. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> As a setup to later on. You know, perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. God. Yeah. Right. Right in line. I mean, we have so little to cover in movie two that this would be the perfect. Yeah. The, this is the perfect time to 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 to, to digress on uh, the 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 <laughs> the history of the doll. I, I think a twenty minute sequence where we see it first being created and then being passed down. You know, actually, and then handed and then handed to Bart. Yeah. I'd like a sequence where, like, kind of like Aragorn falling over the cliff and floating down the river, we get something like that where the doll sort of gets lost and just sort of passing from person to person. <laughs> lost and found again. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, this is the heirloom doll, which is the symbol. Well, you know, if Jackson doll. doesn't do this, we have a we have a fanfic fan pick here that could be made, right? <laughs> we have Yana. You could actually do a movie on this. Yes. <laughs> Get a hold of yes. what's her name, Kate Madison. Kat. Yes, a, a, a documentary, a dramatic documentary short on the doll of Dale. Yep. Doll of Dale. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Wow. Yep. If I get a fifth think... horse and it's a mare, that's what I'll call her. The doll that's of Dale. Excellent. The doll of Dale. <laughs> that's that is an excellent that is an excellent uh, thing. But no, I it, the Zombork idea, you know, Bolg's like, he's alive. You know, that would be a perfect <laughs> opening. Perfect opening. Because of course it and would it would introduce us then to the necromancer, right? So we got like the whole, you know, who is this necromancer guy? You know, there is a necromancer who is in, you know, but now we get who is the necromancer? Well, you know, the the uh, the unholy reanimation of Bolg is our introduction to who the necromancer really is, and uh, 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 the revelation of his totally unrevealed and hitherto unsuspected by anybody except anybody who's read the books uh, like inner workings of his underground <laughs> kingdom of building evil um, that could totally work. But I would, I would want to see the Azog-Bolg reunion then if this happens. Oh, My yeah. Son. And then he accidentally yeah. rips his side open with the with, with his yeah. arm. Oh he... no! You get the like you know them running towards each other in slow motion <laughs> with their arms extended. You know, in a, oh, in a field full of skulls. In a field full of skulls. Yeah, him with you know Azog holding out his spiky hands and. and I personally, and I won't find. Along. I won't find the necromancer believable unless I actually get to see him necromancing. Right, exactly. Yeah, we'll so see, we that's must the whole Zomborg argument, right? Yes. Exactly. That's the whole Zomborg argument. We need to see some actual, some like necro action uh, in order to really get the point here. I got to tell you, we've really got the listeners going now. We've got some great, some great additions here. You know, the doll uh, floating next to the barrels in the river. Um, flashback of Azog watching Bulk hatch from a slime pit saying, he may not be that cute, but he's mine. <laughs> 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 yeah, and Bolg's reanimated Bolg's first word is "daddy." You know, oh, it would be brilliant. I'm telling you, sympathy for Bolg. I'm ready. I'm so ready for that. 
I know bulk uh, saving on A size. Now I got to tell you, Philip. Really, I mean, I I think I said this. Maybe I can't remember if I said it in the in the episode or somewhere. I said the whole bulk Mrs. Bulk. I mean, the whole Azog Mrs. Azog bulk family unit unit just makes me want to like. I just it makes me cringe to even think about. Yep. 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 That's true. Yeah, Bulg and his mom. I mean, how touching would that be? <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, no, see, that's how you start the sequence. You start the sequence with Mrs. Azog to the necromancer, you know, oh, for her son. weeping over the body of her son. This would be the yes. flashback, right? Just after Azanul Bazaar, you know, like, return my son to me, and evil yes. necromancer Sauron being like, you know, it shall be Moved. so. And, yes. and, uh, and, uh, and he's re you know, but... He like, will be my lieutenant. Soulful. Yeah, it's cool. Cool. Yep. <laughs> oh, exactly. This seems exactly. this seems like by far the most likely possibility that we've yeah yeah so no far. everything. <laughs> this has got to be it, right? So yeah, so the opening sequence, the first, you know, when the when the when the lights go up for the first time, we get Mrs. Azog weeping over the corpse of Bulg. That that's it. That's totally what it's going to be. Kay says she could sing like Luthien to move him. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, that's you know to not only get a female orc, but to get a female orc in a Luthien parallel. Oh my goodness! Brilliant! Oh, oh no! I think oh, I would just God. die. I mean, I think I would absolutely just collapse in the theater if that happened. I mean, I really. <laughs> Wow, that's hysterical. This may become a memorable episode, you know, I mean, given the way the movie begins, we could be, you know, we may stand up in the movie theater and go, oh my God! Right. Yep. We were joking about that! Yep. yep. <laughs> oh, no, that'd be good. That'd be very good. All right. Okay, well, so well, back to, to what answer, we actually huh? think is likely, um, though it's, it's, it's always fun to talk about what we think would be funny. Nowhere near as uh, much fun as what we've come up with. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so what we think is actually, what is actually likely. Okay, I will go ahead and start. I will go first right. today, and I will say that I think the likeliest answer, I'm going to go with C, flashback, is my, is my official vote for today's riddle. I think we're getting at a flashback of some kind. And I do suspect it's going to be a White Council plot related, like a necromancer related mm, flashback. Mm. Probably not, mm -hmm. unfortunately, a Zomborg flashback, but it but but because I still just think the setup that we have had for what Gandalf is going to go do, he is about to depart from them. I mean the one of the issues at the beginning of this film is gonna be Gandalf's departure. And I think that he needs to prep us for Gandalf's departure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that when Gandalf says, uh, by the way, I'm taken off now, it doesn't seem weird. It doesn't seem random. Um, so I think some kind of flashback, my number one guess would be the um, Gandalf finding the map thing. Um, that's possible. Some kind of um, something which makes the... Uh, Dal Guldur, Necromancer, Tomb of the Nazgul thing um, uh, make sense. You know, something that makes that you know easier to, to, to grab onto when we get to it. 
that's my that's my that that's my suspicion but i'm not you know that that, that it's possible we could get some other kind of flashback um if we get the smaug's dream flashback i will be enormously happy though if we get smaug's dream technically it won't be a flashback because it would be that's it would true be a, it would be, It'd a, be a, real a, time, a real time wouldn't it yeah and you're, and you're specifically um, so i would be wrong but it would still be excellent and you're specifically saying flashback not exposition Flashback, not exposition. Exactly. So nobody over, nobody narrating over it. Right. Yeah. Flashback without voiceover. Mm. Okay, I'm going to go next, even though I don't have us listed in that order, Dave, on the thing if you're looking at it. I'm going to say A, um, action continues in real time, but I also think it will be White Council oriented, but I think it'll be in real time. For example, perhaps a telepathic message from from Galadriel or, you know, something that we see, maybe Radagast finds something or, or we see some doings in Dol Guldur or something. But, but I agree that I think it would be something that would forward this idea of Gandalf needing to leave to take care of business. Right. Yeah. So I agree. Like a cut to meanwhile in Dol Guldur would be, right. you know, that would certainly be an A answer. Um, right. Um, and it would move things forward in the same way. Or Galadriel somehow reaching out to Gandalf with her telepathy saying, you know, uh, red alert, red alert, we need you right away. Come to, you know, Lorien, we need to take off. You know, in other words, he gets some kind of message or from a moth, you know, whatever. But it would be, you know, we need you, you must come, which would justify his going away. And we know that it's Dol Guldur related. Right. Hmm. Okay, Dave. What about you? Um, I'm going with uh, <laughs> D exposition. All right. I am, so yeah, that's a good. What idea. kind of exposition then are you anticipating? Uh, I think we'll start with some kind of um, some historical thing. I, I think we'll get a. Basically, remember we, the thing we enumerated. Um, some kind of Thrine map flashback, but being narrated. Yep by a person transitioning okay. seamlessly into a scene of that person telling the story. I think we'll get right. some kind of Thrine map flashback with voiceover by Gandalf tra- transitioning directly into um, uh, sitting at Bjorn's or walking to Bjorn's or something uh, with Gandalf right. telling the story to the dwarves. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty close to what I'm predicting. I'm just predicting no voiceover. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's that, 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 I could definitely see a Gandalf exposition scene at the beginning. That uh, that does that does make a lot of sense. All right. Well, we should probably run. I know that Trish needs to go, and I should go too. Um, I do too. Yeah, I do need to go. Yeah. But uh, but uh, but uh, thanks again to everyone for joining us today. Uh, and we look for we'll probably. Uh, well, do we have a definite plan for our next episode? Are we going to be doing the ending for the next episode? We don't have a definite plan. Um, you know, we're kind of waiting. Like I said, I said to Corey earlier, I said I want to take I want to take Peter by his little pink polo shirt lapels and say, "Give us something," because it's like we don't want to go too far down the line, you know, without some stuff from Jackson. Um, we have. Yeah. We've got some significant stuff with the bromance. I mean, we can also talk about the bromance. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I really want to get into like, like I enjoy the kind of moving chronologically through the story, but I, I, I think our some of our best episodes from the previous season were more were less focusing on specific sort of thematic. You know, f- like how yeah. will this this scene from the book take place on screen? And more thematic or character driven stuff. So I, I think we should do uh, get into some of those. 
Okay. Um, well, think... let's revisit because Dave Dave made a list, and I'll we'll we'll revisit that list that, that Dave made um, yeah. in a incredibly productive and creative moment of his. And uh, you know, because I know we have some Nazgul stuff we could cover. Between. We have the bromance we could cover. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. So, we so have... yeah. So stay tuned is what here's I'll a, say. You know, we'll probably go got. with something thematic. But... Nor- Northern world geopolitics. We we touched on it a yep. little bit with our with our um, Lake Town Bard episode, but uh, I, I'd really love to just do a geopolitics episode. We've got the uh, Thorin Bilbo bromance episode, another Bilbo in the Ring episode, um, closing moment, an episode on revenge, an episode on Nazgul. Um, uh, obviously, need to do a Smaug then, episode at some point. So, yeah, and then we, the rest of them would come up mm-hmm. with their first three or for year three. So, so yeah, yeah, so we have several like thematic and other yeah. sort of you know so other I, things. So we, I think next episode we'll, we'll do one of the one of the sort of you know like the politics one or the bromance or the revenge one. I really really excited about the revenge one. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Excellent. Well, and we're so not sure. So we figure maybe in, if we go back to Tuesdays again, we have had actually a request from a, a, one of our listeners, Dennis, in Australia for us to do it at, at a time when um, folks like in other far time zones can join us. So like we might, a one-off different time of day one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, we, we might, might do that. I, I know at least we're doing the time that we do is, is reasonable for Europeans um, rather than doing them in the late evening. Yeah, but I. We could maybe do an afternoon one. We could do an afternoon one. I know, uh, you know, that's kind of early morning for people in Australia, and New Zealand. But if we, you know, if we did sort of an afternoon our time, that could possibly cover Europe and, and some of the folks in, sure. in Australia, New Zealand. So anyway, so we might do that. Um, yeah. So I would say stay tuned, but for sure not next week, but probably sometime the, the week after next we'll do something. Yep, that's what we're looking at. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.